0: Today is going to be the last time about Ezekiel for quite a while because we it in January and February and today's the last Sunday in February so we'll be thinking about other things over the next few months remember Ezekiel was one of the big three Jeremiah and Isaiah exactly and that's nothing to do with what they were saying it was all to do with the book really that's what we've sort of said and we know that Ezekiel probably died about 570 BC and it was a very sort of up and down kind of time because these different countries around him were wanting power and so they were taking and, and things were terrible really for both parts of God's people Israel the northern tribes and Judah the southern tribes because they all really wanted to worship themselves and served themselves and weren't so interested in following God. Maybe some of you have used. I'm not going to press it anymore because it's going to go zooming through. But some of you have used the Bible reading plan. Oh, there it is. And um, I know I did, and it's very helpful for me. Maybe you did as well or didn't use it, but still read through Ezekiel. Wonderful to do. And we've had quite a few good talks on it sort of these this is the list about it and so today as you can see it's the conclusion of... there is still now if you've read through it the book you'll just be thinking that's a bit strange saying that because when you look at Ezekiel hope is there but it's not as much as something else if we're going to just very briefly, look at every chapter. It's going to take less than a minute. You wouldn't believe it, but it does. There's four chapters which are talking about Ezekiel. And then there's all these chapters that talk about. Well, then there's two chapters that are going to talk about. Judgment and, hope. and then the rest of the chapters are just talking about. Judgment and nastiness and just because that what's been happening. God has standards, And if people don't follow what they what he, what he said, then we know what's gonna happen. Just like today. follow their own ideas and not God's ideas, but then judgment comes on us, on his people as well as the nation. Jew was going to come come to come and read chapter 37 for us, verses 1 to 14 from the New Testament
1: I felt the power of the Lord on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and put me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me around among the bones, and I saw that there were many bones in the valley and that they were very dry. Then he asked me, Human, can these bones live? I answered, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to the bones. I will cause breath to enter you, so you will come to life. I will put muscles on you and flesh on you and cover you with skin. Then I will put breath in you, so you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. While I prophesied, there was a noise and a rattling. The bones came together. Bone to bone. I looked and saw muscles come on the bones, and flesh grew, and skin covered the bones, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the wind. Prophesy, human, and say to the wind, This is what the Lord God says Wind, come from the four winds and breathe on these people who were killed so they can come back to life. So I prophesied as the Lord commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a very large army. Then he said to me, human, these bones are like all the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope has gone. We are destroyed. So prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. My people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves. Then I will bring you into the land of Israel. My people, you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and cause you to come up from them. And I will put my spirit inside you and you will come to life. Then I will put you in your own land. And you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it," says the Lord.
0: Do you ever feel like this? Then, verse eleven. Not just about being old, because we're all getting older. And someone was telling me this uh, this morning. Oh, people tell her she's getting old, but she doesn't look old. This person called Margaret Moffat. She doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't look old anyway, does she? But all hope is gone, it's all kind of, oh no, life is awful, life is terrible. Things are not like they used to be when they're getting, like I was when I was younger. Do you remember? Ezekiel, judgment, 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 judgment. There is still hope. Even though God was speaking through Ezekiel about all these things that he was trying and testing the people on, there was still hope there's still hope for us. However we find ourselves, wherever we find ourselves today, there is still hope for us. Jesus brings hope for us today, whatever situations we find ourselves in. And so I was thinking about that earlier this week, and I was thinking, oh, that's marvellous. That's going to be such an encouragement. Finish with an upbeat sort of talk on Ezekiel, because when I've been reading through Ezekiel, there's a lot of judgments, a lot of things where God's saying, I'm really angry, I'm really sort of not keen on what's been happening. This is the judgment that's happening now. So I think, well, how do I structure it? And then I looked at the poster that I sort of did in the beginning of December, and I thought, that's going to be great. Just three points here already made, and I'd never thought about it at the start of December. That God says he's beautiful and he is, and we're not. But God's done something about it. And now, when we put God first, there's hope because putting God first gives us hope. So, that's the structure of what we're thinking about today. Point one, I've even put it on there so we can really sort of think about it. God is beautiful. When I read Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God. I don't need to read anymore because that really is wonderful. It's saying who God is and what happened in the beginning, God. There's loads of verses I could have put just now, but I've just put a few. Psalm 29 verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. If the voice of the Lord is like that, what's God like? Revelation 1 verse 8. I'm the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Again, I think about words like that. And it makes me think, wow, Lord, you're amazing. You're beautiful. I want to follow you with all my heart. There's two verses in Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 28 first. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. And I think about things like that quite often. I read the Bible and just pondering it for a little while. I think, wow, we can't ponder you. You're everlasting. That's fantastic. But then I get even more excited. It goes up two or three gears because it's the next verse after that that gets me really going this is verse 29 so this is we've just heard how God is wonderful but then he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak so he's beautiful by himself but then he comes alongside us and says you need some strength you need some power you need my love in your heart here it is Have a load of that. And I think how beautiful that is. Because God is all powerful. And yet he just comes next to us. And loves us. And shows compassion. Do you remember John 11.35? Jesus wept. How much compassion was Jesus showing then to his friends? And yet, he's omniscient omnipotent it's amazing isn't it that we serve a God like that God's beauty our sin for everyone has sinned we all fall short of God's glorious standard that's Romans 3.23 you know I kind of go into Greek a bit sometimes and it's fascinating and brilliant Let's look at four of these Greek words. Pantes, everyone. You know, pan is a word we often use, isn't it? Panam was one sort of thing, weren't it? But we use pan a lot. Now, pan means all. But it's not in a sense of all in one place. But all meaning the, indiv- the individual parts added together all. So it's not just one big wall, we could say. But it's the all, but looking at every brick in turn. So everyone has sinned. Pantes, everyone, all. It's not just saying the whole of creation, all mankind, all humankind. It's saying every part of humankind has sinned. It's not just, oh yeah, mankind, that's, that's bad. But everyone, not just everyone. See the difference? So it's the little bricks in the wall, not just the whole wall. How about this other word, hamarton? And that's a bit like an archer sort of pointing this way and the target's there, but he's missed the target when the arrow flies away. Hamarton, sin, is when we miss the mark. God's mark. And then the next word. Uh, hysteria and that is uh, last or at the end so becoming behind it says coming behind and therefore left out left wanting, falling short and the important thing I found about this when I was looking it up this state, this is fall short this state of lack and insufficiency naturally results when a person misses out on what is vital so we've missed out on what is vital, knowing God and following God, because we've fallen short of God's glorious standard. Glorious, that's a great word. Doxa, we know a lot, doxology, and words like that. And doxer is a bit like the Old Testament word, kabo, which means to be heavy. And when I thought about that a little bit more, I thought, yeah, because God is heavy with his... Uh, splendor and honour and riches and abundance of love and joy. So when we give glory to God, we're recognising that he is, has all these attributes that we're wanting. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone. I don't mind being a guinea pig. John's sins are not unimportant John's sins are not to be accepted John's sins are not just one of those things you know, it's it's only a sin it's all right. John's sins are not to be forgotten about John's sins are not able to be sorted out by himself do you know, when I was younger I used to try did you ever do that? before you became a Christian, did you think oh yeah, heaven's great I'll go to heaven, I'm going to go and do some good things for people But the trouble is, we can't do anything about it. John's sins are all these things as well. John's sins are odious, deplorable, ultimately deadly. John's sins are shocking. You can substitute your name if you want to. But I know this is true about me. It's not a good state, is it? It's not things that would make us... Happy. You know how people work hard all their lives and they want to have a good pension and retire early if they can? There's a great verse in the Bible that tells us about sin. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. Romans 6 23. That's what happens. If we invest in sin, what's going to happen? We're not just going to die physically we die spiritually but isn't it amazing we know there's a space there because that's not the end of the verse shall we remind ourselves about the end of the verse but God's gift is real life eternal life delivered by Jesus our master Oh, I suddenly feel a lot better don't you all of that sin and stuff that we need to know about and need to deal with, Jesus has dealt with. God is in the position to be able to restore us. And not just us. All of humankind, he can restore. Here's a few verses from Romans 5. I'll read them to you. This is all about God restoring us to himself. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus has done something that we could never do. I remember 1983, I was at Tamworth Ealing. This chap, he was young then, called Dave Bilber, He brought his guitar to Tamworth Elim, and we all had a sing-song song I am a new creation. Do you remember it? We used to sing it a lot. Now, of course, we might sort of think it's a bit eighties because it was written in 1983, so it was quite eighties, really. But my sins are these, but I've been forgiven, and that makes me different. I'm a child of God. This is great. This is I am a new creation. Uh, uh, yeah, this is I am a new creation. The old is gone. Spiritual awakening has come. And we all pray for ourselves to be spiritually awakened and our friends. But God has made us new creations. So those sins that we have, have changed. Now God has paid the price. God restores us. God changes things. God brings things. Uh, There's a word. I can't remember what those are. Good. Reconciler. I was looking at St. John and I was thinking, he says a word sometimes. And I'll I, I look at you and there's words that I associate with most of you, really. And for St. John, it's reconciler that God reconciles us. And that's brilliant because God does reconcile us, He restores us, He changes us, He makes us different. So how about this third point? Now be totally God-centered. I don't know about you, but I do chores around the house. Do you? Yeah. And do you know, cleaning your home has been made so much easier than when I was young, in the 1970s, when I was growing up. When I was growing up, we had one of these things to clean the carpet. We used to push it like this. Do you remember those? Yeah. And they're even selling them. I got this uh, this week from Amazon. So they still sell them. This sort of thing. But the thing is, Jill and I have made an investment recently into cleaning our home. I'm going to show you what we've uh, invested in. Shall I tell you what it's called first? You're going to be amazed at this. It's called a muck right, (laughs) And this is what it looks like. is a muck suck because it sucks the muck Okay, that's what it is, now, when I first started looking at this it's, I, I've so enjoyed looking at it, because I did this, you know, just like I used to do in the 1970s but it's a bit of a problem it's, 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 it's not what I anticipated but it's got all these attachments, look, oh, it's got this and lovely colours and look at this I don't know what this does, but it's really long, and it's a lovely colour as well. But see how long it is. So, I've got a problem. It's sort of, I do all this, and the muck isn't sucking. The muck is staying on the floor. So, I can put on to the next one. I've got a problem. Can anyone tell me what to do? power. Okay. But, but in the 70s I used to do this and this, this was great. So is that something to do with this? Okay. Human me. It's alright. So so I've got to do this. I've got to plug it in somewhere, have I? So I've got one of those at home as well then, have I? yes, Oh, ah. ah, one of those. So if I plug it in it's going to suck the muck. Is it? It works. What did I need? An external power source to make it function properly. God is our external power source most of our problems are because we don't plug into God why aren't you plugging into God why in your life don't you say Lord I need you I'm desperate for you I can't go through life on my own why are we doing this why am I doing it? I need God much more in my life than I think I do. We all need God in our life much more than we think we do. It's no good having a mucksuk or anything else, what you want, might call it, a Dyson, unless you plug it in. What a waste of time it is unless you plug it in. We're wasting our Christian lives by not plugging into God. I'm wasting my life if I don't plug into him regularly, daily, looking to him for joy and love. God calls us to put our hope in him, to put our everything into him. There's been a few good US presidents, haven't there? Jimmy Carter, I think, was a good one still alive. I have one life and one chance to make it count for something, he said. My faith demands, and he's a Christian for sure, that I do whatever I can, wherever I am, whenever I can, for as long as I can, with whatever I have, to try to make a difference. We're quickly going to just look at two people that made a difference. Does anyone know who this is? yeah Eric Eric Little. this week it's the anniversary the 43rd anniversary of his death do you remember Chariots of Fire yes. it was all about him he was a Christian he wouldn't even he put God first he wouldn't even run on a Sunday because he put God first and he was a missionary in China as Alex said Just before the Japanese invaded China and everything, his family moved away because they were told, yeah, get out, and they went to Canada. But he wanted to stay because God said, look after the poor, be with the poor. He said, yeah, I'm going to stay with the poor. And so when the Japanese came along, he was put in an internment camp. In uh, an internment camp, yeah. And that's why he died of malnutrition. Because he put God first. He heard what God said I'm not going to go to Canada with my family. God bless you, you do that. But God said, work with the poor. And so, he was God-centred. How about this chap? You've probably heard of him. Oswald J. Chambers. My utmost for his highest. Probably you've read it. He was 43 as well. A coincidence. And I'm a bit older than that. Okay, quite a lot older than that. But I'm thinking, this is another person who did something for God. Now, when we were on our honeymoon and we went to Cairo, we went out of our way to go to his grave. Because at that time, I was well into reading his books and just really thought, oh, Lord, thank you for this man, Oswald J. Chambers. And so we had to take a taxi and we went to his grave in Egypt and he put God first. He wanted to be a chaplain. In, he was a chaplain in Egypt during the First World War. And he was ill. But he says, no, there's other soldiers more worthy of going to the theatre and to be operated on. So he died. Because he was seriously ill with appendicitis or something like that, I think. And so he wasn't operated on. And so he had a horrible death, really. And you might sort of think, oh, we should have done it. But again, he was putting others first. He was more God-centred than perhaps I am. We could think of other people. Because these are the three different things we're saying. Yeah, God is beautiful. We're sinners. But God restores us. Now we've got to give everything to God. Our hope comes from, from Jesus, from God. And that's the way we are changed. I was thinking of Lazarus the other day. And how when Jesus went to him, his sisters had lost hope. Here it is. John 11 25 If you had been here, if you'd been here, Jesus, it wouldn't have happened. But Jesus sorted out the situation, Jesus changed the situation, just like Jill reading about the dry bones and God breathing into them and they came to life. Think about Elisha. I was reading this the other day as well. You remember where there was a widow who sort of, uh, had creditors come in and they wanted to take their sons. And Elisha said, go and get lots of pots, and there's going to be some oil coming along. And don't just get a few, get a lot. She was all at end of hope, end of life. It's the end, nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to change. But Elisha said, no, think about it, just get lots of pots. And the oil kept flowing and flowing and flowing until the pots stopped coming So God wants us to trust in him, to boast in him, to hope in him. And we've got hope for ourselves and for Nuneaton. And we've got a significant part to play in that. But God has the significant part to play. Remember how Jill read, she said in verse 7 and then verse 10, So I prophesied, that's Ezekiel, as I was commanded. He did his bit. God said, prophesy to the bones. Then he says again a bit later, so I prophesied because God commanded me to do that. What's God asking us to do? That we need to do. That we need to say, yes, Lord, I'm totally in for what you're saying. Some of you will know this logo very well. Bible in a year. On April the 17th, Nikki Gumbel says this, and you'll know about it in two months if you haven't read it already. There are six steps to a God-centred life. You can read them for yourself, obviously. Worship God. Pray consistently. Humble yourself. Be childlike. Follow Jesus. Serve God. That's what God's calling us to do. To lay aside our ambitions, to lay aside our plans, but say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want and need to surrender to you. I want to abandon everything I've got and put my hope, my trust in you. Lord, when I do this, nothing comes up, nothing changes. But when I plug into your power, your love and your joy, things change in my life and in the lives of other people. So we're going to pray, and then Jill's going to help us respond to this. As we say, yes, Lord, help me to know that you're the person I should plug into. I should know more. I should give everything to. So, Lord, we do surrender to you and say, Lord, will you take us and help us? Thank you for so many Christians that over the centuries have given their all to you. Many of them we just never heard of. And maybe in our lives, people won't hear of us. But that doesn't change anything, Lord. We want to give our lives to you fully and completely and totally. Lord, use, it as, use us as you will. We want you to be glorified. Thank you for the hope that there is in you, of following you. Thank you, Lord, for making us all new creations. Lord, we are so glad. We want to play our part in changing the nation, and we know that revolves around you. So, Lord, Help us to be ready as you call us to do things for you. Amen.